say. Okay, we are live. This is Bam Electric Ghost. And we are talking to the power couple. I am a podcaster, a music producer, and musician myself. We've been um, doing podcasts since 2018, previously on Anchor FM, and now we're doing these new video podcasts on um, StreamYard. We're talking to the Los Angeles-based alternative R&B duo, Power Couple, and they're composed of multi-instrumentalist John Lowe and Summer Jasmine. I hope I got your names right. And uh, glad to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I I sent some questions that we'd like to get into, um, but we do have your song, Higher Love, on YouTube. So sometimes I like to play... If I could play that, um, and then we could talk um, to it to the kind of give the audience a chance to understand your music by actually hearing it. Yeah. That'd be great. So I'll put you on mute for a second, and we'll switch over to that. So hold a second. Put you on mute, and then we'll go into that. I can't believe I'm with you. I'm in a fantasy This is the moment in the scene When the sun and the ocean meet Leave them with you I'm in a fantasy This is the moment in the scene When the sun and the ocean meet Moving in time with your heart I can't believe I'm with you I'm in a fantasy This is the moment in the scene When the sun and the ocean meet Moving in time with your heart And breathing with the beat We are the moon and the sea There's a pool that you have on Love me, love me with the higher love. Love me, love me with the higher love. Love me, love me with the higher love. With the higher love. When I give in to your touch, and you give in to me, turn off our thoughts and release our control of the way we feel. A little bit of adrenaline got me shivering, lifting me up. I don't know if we're in heaven here, but I've never been this high above. Love me, love me with the higher love. Love me, love me with the higher love. Love me, love 
I am back, and I think I got you guys back, and we're going to remove the screen here. So now we got both of you back on. You can hear great, me. Great. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I wanted to give the the, uh, the audience a good example of your music, so hopefully that came through. And um, I also wanted to kind of give you a little bit of background from what I've read is um, you guys have been working on this um, four-phase, uh, four-part project called Blocks. And uh, you started with Feel in 2019, and uh, you showcased like your jazz, hip hop, electronic influences. Uh, and then you had a follow-up single uh, called Like Fire, um, celebrated uh, International Women's Day in 2020. And then phase two of Blocks is uh, slated for this year, right? And it's gonna go uh, with a, a short film as well. Is that, is that, is that my, uh, I'm up to date. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so I guess the, the first question I always go back a little bit is, um, when did you guys first get into music? Who wants to start? Like, at what age did you decide that music was like? She's she, she, she been at it. She she got younger than I think. <laughs> yeah, I started as a kid. My family were. They were all musicians. My dad was getting his master's in classical piano or bachelor's. So he was like playing for hours when I was sleeping in the crib. So I think it just sort of assimilated into my body. And <laughs> I really wanted to play piano. So I started that first and singing. My mom is a singer. And, you know, I just have like a long line of musicians in my family. So it, I was involved in music from before I could remember, even before talking, they would say, I would just sit in my crib and sing so, which is it was cool. early for me that's pretty cool i wish i, I had i don't have a story like that <laughs> now my i i i did grow up singing in church um that was like the extent of it um so i think it really wasn't until college that i kind of took music seriously um before that yeah i sang in church i attempted to play guitar for like a month that didn't really work out. I didn't, I didn't have the patience or the wherewithal at the time. Um, I think I knew I always loved music. I just wasn't sure I had the capacity for it. And then I figured it out later. <laughs> so um, I guess the other question I always ask uh, to go along with that is uh, like how long um, have you been um, working in music once you realize that you had a voice for it like once you realize that you could write your own music i guess because a lot of times people get into music and they don't write their own music they, they work professionally but they don't write their own music so what made you feel that you could write your own music for me i was writing music first like i was just creating i wrote really ridiculous emotional songs when i was a little kid that were just so dramatic for no reason um, and I think it's because my parents were both songwriters, so I kind of just felt normal to be writing all the time and creating songs. I thought that was more fun than learning other people's songs, which I've developed a great respect for now. Um, but for me, it was pretty early on. I think it's because I had the encouragement and support of my family that I you know, felt confident in that area. And it was a, a really good outlet for me as kind of a dramatic and emotional kid. <laughs> and I'd say for me, I started writing music almost as soon as I figured out, you know, how to play an instrument. I think, uh, you know, up until that point, 
music kind of lived in my head, ideas, melodies, and and song structures and that sort of thing. I just never really knew how to put it out. And then once I really actually sat down and learned the guitar, that's when almost almost as soon as I learned like three or four chords, I was just like, I'm gonna write songs. And it didn't, it wasn't like a struggle or anything like that. It was, it, you know, I think mostly because it had lived in me for so long, being a fan of music, I knew what I wanted my voice to sound like. It's obviously it's a journey, but uh, I knew I wanted it to go in a certain way. Well, even before you played guitar, you were writing songs. I remember the first day I met him, <laughs> he was like, he didn't know how to play any instruments. He was, we were met at Berkeley on a, he was there for voice. And he was like telling the guitar, like F sharp, you know, C sharp minor. And like he had this ear for it, but he couldn't actually play it. But he had written songs and you didn't know how to play guitar or any instrument. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, I could, I could always, I always had, like, I've always had an ear for music. I just, you know, it took me a while to have the discipline to play it. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's super quiet. I think we, we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? A little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, okay. There we go. You can hear Perfect. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, as a musician myself, you know, I started like on a clarinet. And then that's not really a writing instrument. <laughs> I, I kind of grew up in the 80s, right? So um, I, I saw Duran Duran at all these all these uh, new wave bands. And so I went looking in the, in the, in the pawn shops for like mini modes and, and Jupiters, whatever I could find. And um, yeah. I just decided I was in the, all these punk bands and then people stopped showing up. And then I realized that if I had a synthesizer, I could write everything myself. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that's how I kind of, and I kept on going because everybody else would get married, you know, have relationships and drop in and out of it. And the bass player wouldn't show up. But it's like it's just a passion of um, once you realize that you you like you learn your instrument and then you learn what you want to do with it and how you want to bring your voice out. I think that's when you really start getting something unique, and that's why I like to talk to a lot of independent songwriters. Is just because you can um, really get into a window like a writer. You know, music is like reading great novels or short stories to me. And uh, as a, as a fan of music, and I'm a musician myself. I love talking to musicians just to figure out where they're coming from and their journey and how they how they actually got into it. And so it's really cool for me to get into that. I think um, that's a, a big part of um, the whole scene. Uh, and that's why I like to like to talk to folks like you. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so I think the other follow up um, question um, is. Um, I guess um, how your writing style in terms of your, like your inspirations and your um, your reference points, like who who inspired you as a musician? Not that everything you like, oh, you name check somebody and then you sound like them, but it's kind of like to me as a musician, like, like your influences kind of make who you are. Mm -hmm. So so who who wants to go first in terms of like your references or your um, the people that you um, kind of look up to to kind of you know create create your sound. Well, um, it's funny. And in, in reading that question, I actually I, I said to Summer that I, I think there 
and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit yourself right now, that there's a difference between your influences and your reference points, mm -hmm. right? Like, so like your influences, I, I have so many influences. I, not all of them are a reference point per se, just because, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't all like, like a really random one I told her <laughs> is like, I like, there's this rock band called the Deftones. And I just think that they're, they, they just crush it. I mean, they, they just, you know, Chino Moreno and Abe Cunningham on drugs. They're just like, they literally, the things they were doing, I, I thought were just way ahead of what um, music, what rock especially was doing at the time. However, that being said, not a reference point at all for any of the music we make, but um, I do, I do count them as an influence just because it was, it was some, there's something about it that just spoke to me. Um, so, but influences, yeah, everything in so many influences. I always say, um, Stevie Wonder, Johnny Hathaway, Marvin Gaye, um, that's one block. And then, you know, um, uh, I was going to say, it's really, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard. Current music, D'Angelo, and there's Jack Garrett, and there's, uh, I could go on, honestly, I could go on but I'll, you should say. I want to shout out current people that I feel like we love and deserve it. That's like Silver Drive, you Thing. That's it's true. It's still now, but that is. I love it. Um, Gabrielle Gomez, um, we love like current artists like Instagram, Masego, Moonchild, Keeper. Um, but growing up, I listened to like I said classical music. I really want to talk. I love Corey Eames, her songwriters, like the whole Lilith thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, love Lauren Hill. Uh, yeah. I gotta get into hip hop because hip hop was just such a huge, 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 huge face for us. Uh, it's funny just in different ways though. Like I don't think it was as upfront for me, but my older brother. Um, okay, you remember? You probably remember that. Because back in the day, like when you went to school, you cover your book. Did you have to do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay, so the kids don't have to do that anymore. They don't, they don't understand. <laughs> but you had to cover your books back in the day, right? You'd be like the brown paper bag, like, wrap it around a book or whatever, right? Yeah. My father was like a pro at that. So he would do it for me. But his rule was he would write the names of artists on my paper covers, right? He have all these artists. And I had to listen to them, no matter what. If I liked it or not, I had to listen to them. So he would put stuff like, you know, NWA, Sonny Rollin, Coltrane, Tribe, Public Enemy, like all sorts of stuff. You know, like Bill Evans, just crazy, like things I would not have even dreamed to have listened to. And because he did that, that's exactly what I loved. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, like a part of what I do in my music is like, I, I call it expansive sound because I don't want to get pinned down into a genre. So, so, yeah, so basically like, you know, my, I love, I like Sun Ra. I like, I like, you know, I like uh, Steve Ray Vaughn, like Johnny Cash, oh, yeah. like Dylan, like Funkadelic. 
yeah. I like, I like uh, you know, Bernie Worrell. I like, I like yes, I like Genesis. So if you're a synthesizer player, and I'm into all these Moogs and Jupiters and Prophets, you kind of have to go a little progressive rock, right? That's kind of foundational. You're yeah. going to, you know, Keith Emerson, you know, even a guy like Pete Townsend. Because like the one thing about Pete Townsend is, like, you think about it, well, he's a guitar player, but his approach on a synthesizer is very innovative. And yeah. uh, it's just like Eddie Van Halen's approach on an Oberheim on jump. Yeah. And so, like, if you're a keyboard player, a lot of times you're like, wow, this guitar player actually took, look, looked at the synthesizer. And you think about, like, Barbara O'Reilly or Won't Get Fooled Again, the way Pete Townsend approached synthesis actually informed tons of other synthesizer players since then on how you actually program a synthesizer, how you create those sequencers, what you do, what effect they can have. And so I think it's interesting, like, when people from different genres, like, band genres or mixed genres i think that's really what's cool in today's music with hip-hop you know pulling from jazz and 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 r&b pulling from hip-hop is just a lot of cross modulation it's pretty cool yeah i think it's necessary i think like you know most of us don't listen to the type of music you know we, we listen to everything the playlists you know exactly you know so there's everything on there I'm so excited that the industry does the person holding the honor of 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 the honor DJ, it doesn't have to, it, it, you know, if you check a lot of people's playlists, it's like, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And, um, and that's kind of cool because I think that's, that's, uh, you know, where people's heads at. But the only thing I think that's missing is, um, like I'm a child of the seventies. So I grew up with albums. Yeah. So, and I grew up with vinyl, you know, so I mean, I, I listened to the Carpenters like close to you the whole way through as a kid. Cause my parents, that's what they did. They had the vinyl I listened to the inner visions songs in the key of life. I'm listening to all that stuff, like all the way through Pink Floyd, all the way through right. Zeppelin four, all the way through, because yeah. that's kind of what I, I, and I, I still approach my music in terms of like albums and concepts, but most people, uh, just, just digest it as a part of a playlist and little short singles, everything's under three minutes. I see that you're working on these projects, but you've kind of spaced them out with, with what you're doing with blocks. So maybe you can talk about like your 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 concept for blocks and what, is it intended at the end to be like an EP or 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 an album? But what's what's the what's the flow for that? Yeah, yeah. Well, what you were saying, I totally agree. That's part of a whole journey that you go on with. This has been a bit, but the big thing is it's all about emotion. So like the thing has a feeling to the vibe, right? And I think that's what we're going with different EPs is each one has a feeling, feeling or vibe. So it's the first one called feel, and then there's mind, then it's going to be vibe and escape. And if, when you write songs, they like, well, they they want box. So it's like box or blocks between them in the category that they fit, like their little song family. Um, with the overall goal of, yeah, releasing it as a larger project, because I'm a fan, like you said, of listening to things from start to finish in the order they were intended to tell a story. And that's why this next EP is going to be uh, going with the movie, a film, because it is telling a story. 
um, that is still revealing itself to us as we go, which is what I love about art. Like you don't always like know everything at the start, right? Like you figure it out too, as the artist, it's writing us. But the whole concept of blocks was something that John came up with, which is like writer's block that we deal with, but also like building blocks and how we build each other up and how we build together in collaboration. And also we're always in Los Angeles next to construction. So we've done like a lot of ideas, like what does it mean construction and interior and exterior? And so we've just been playing with all of those different themes. And that's kind of the concept behind, you know, the block series, the four phases that we've been working on. Right. Each one of them is going to kind of cover the ground of, you know, where, where we're at and how we approach, you know, the music that we write. It's, I think for every musician, um, you want to write something that inspires you and inspiration is such a wide palette. Like it's not just, you know, inspired to be happy it's not just inspired to be you know to write the saddest song it's inspiration to you know accurately depict and describe the state of being that you're in and that changes at any given time so you know what we've done with these what we're doing with these blocks is trying to you know put them together so that you know as we are as human beings we are put together with blocks you know whether it's a vibe whether it's a mood whether it's a you know a feel whether it's you know living cerebrally in our minds there's so many things that's that's where the concept kind of lies yeah nobody's just one thing that's kind of cool that kind of reminds me of like you know i am a child of the concept album like tommy you know quadrophenia and the idea that you can have these long form ideas. So the visual filming, like I kind of got into music, you know, loving like the Velvet Underground and Andy Warhol and then, uh, you know, collective art collective and the whole idea that you could, you could merge that kind of art. Like you look at the first Velvet Underground album with the banana on it and it actually would peel off as a sticker. And it, that kind of merging of art in the 60s and 70s was very common. You have really, you know, awesome artists linking up, you know, visual artists, you know, commercial artists, graphic artists, make, you know, working with the dead, you know, working with all these bands and, and doing all this interesting work that doesn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily, try, necessarily trying to be commercial, but it was just trying to pick up on a feel. You find an artist that, okay, they, that feels like the dead. So that they had that vibe. So then, you know, it had the hate Asbury thing going on. Or, or you have like you know, like the Allman Brothers and you have that, that, their vibe and everybody's vibe. Uh, is, is this cool to have like a complete thought in music and it's not just a beat? Not right. That's bad, but I kind of grew up with the singer-songwriter aspect, which what you guys were talking about blocks is coming from that classic singer-songwriter kind of concept. That you're, you're like a novelist, you're like a short story writer, you're a poet, and you're trying to convey something that's going to trigger the audience to maybe have a memory and they picture, you know, music. Uh, I like, like concept um, that I think a lot of people um, have heard before, like sound paintings. Um, mm -hmm. If you think about like uh, the Beatles and you think about Sergeant Pepper, that's the beginning of like the sound painting. And, you know, mm -hmm. Hendrix, uh, people ask him about Electric Ladyland and they ask him like, what are you trying to do? And he said, well, it's a sound painting. Because right. you heard it, you know, there's like, there's like birds and, 
there's ocean waves and all this stuff, mm-hmm. these long eight minute, 10 minute songs. And you're like, what is all this? What is he trying to do? And it's this idea that you can, you can use the studio. You can use your, your, your musical capabilities to kind of draw something bigger than what you can do live, bigger than what you can actually do in, in, as a, as, you know, just a unit that you were showing up live. But now with computers and synthesizers, you can actually replicate that live. But you know, previously it was harder to do. Yeah, it's interesting you say sound painting because our next song that we've been working on is called Monet, and it's totally inspired by the works of Monet and like what that would mean today. And actually, part of the movie involves a painting that we go into and explore, and so like we really resonate with that that term. And I've always heard it as like soundscape as well, like soundscaping, you know. So. It's interesting because I'm like, if the story with the Beatles, and I don't know if people had, had understood it, like um, Peter Sellers, their uh, um, like the fifth Beatle, George Martin, had been producing all these Peter Sellers comedy records. And they required all this overdubbing. And they required like special effects and orchestras and tons of overdubs. And the Beatles were fans of those Peter Sellers records. And I, I saw in this documentary that, that he used a lot of those techniques on the those Peter Sellers comedy albums to actually create that kind of Sergeant Pepper vibe, which became like the standard because it, it took all these things that were being done in production of, of like comedy records, but it actually then applied to rock and roll. And suddenly you had the, all these new studio techniques that could be utilized to create this kind of picture. And in the documentary, he talks about like, like, you know, I, I could, I could just record the Beatles like they sound in Germany, in Berlin, or I could record them like they like it, it's like a Monet. He actually talked about impressionism and talked about how I can actually color the sound in the studio and make it be a little bit more or different than what you can really do uh, live. And that's where they started to, to move from like the help, move from the early Beatles sound to that more psychedelic sound and spacious sounding years later. But, uh, yeah, you can kind of hear that trans that that that, that transformation. Through those next few albums after help like revolver and you can you could kind of hear it a little bit in rubber soul which i know was before help but like you could you could kind of hear or was it before help or just after help i think it might have just after maybe it might have been yeah it might have been help then rubber soul then revolver but you can start to hear that that kind of mutation into what it's going to be and how they're going to just like you know completely change you know what everyone thinks they are even though they don't think they're changing because that that's just a natural evolution of what it means to be a musician. The more you discover about yourself and the more you discover about music, the more you want to play with those colors, you know? Yeah. And you're reflecting the times too. They were evolving with the society that was changing rapidly at that time. Um, but from that idea of like the painting, the soundscape, I feel like that was kind of unique about higher love because we tried all these different like regular drum beats, and they sounded fine, but they weren't like working. It wasn't the specialness. We wanted something different. And so we approached it from like a soundscape perspective. Like we used me breathing as almost like a symbol <laughs> to move it along and like different percussion instruments. That was the way to create that ambiance. I think that's really interesting because a lot of the progressive rock bands are kind of famous for doing like field recordings and then taking like synthesizers, the early Moog modulars and uh you know just layering all these kind of shadow um tracks right so you would build up 
you have maybe some kind of glass breaking or like or you take a field recording outside or you hit something a stick or something you did something you bring it in because like that's not the drum wasn't working so you use something else and then you bring that in and then you know i was watching a, a, a documentary with peter gabriel and he was talking about he actually did on so he had a drummer uh you do like all these 99 cuts of a drum track they spliced the tape they were actually using tape and they cut it into 99 slices and they rearranged the whole track <laughs> it, 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 it took it he played it straight and then they actually took it and rearranged it that's kind of like, <laughs> like collage yeah that's kind of a george martin genesis it's an old progressive trick it's like you take something and you just totally rearrange it on the tape and tape slicing and moving it around people do it today with like samplers they'll take a sample and then they'll move it around chop it it's a lot more it's cool when you do that compared to like taking like an ice ice baby where you take a david bowie track and you just change the lyrics over it right. <laughs> than taking a sample of something kind of resampling it and then spreading it out on a multi-sample and then clipping it up and rearranging it and we end up doing like maybe like a bomb squad hip-hop level production or de la soul hip-hop production where you have a lot going on so much going on you can't tell the source of the original sample um, that, yeah that always <laughs> it's funny that i can't when you say something like that i can't help but want to shout out kanye west for one of, one of my favorite tracks he's ever done he did this on commons like i don't know which album it was like fifth or six it's called finding forever and the song is called the people and he sampled this uh gil scott Haran track um we almost lost detroit and if you listen to that song, that's a that's a deep song, right? Like that's that's a that's a powerful song on its own, and it's it's slow and it's methodical, and it, it really you know it it drags you into the feeling, right? Yeah. Kanye's flip on that is like twice the speed. It's chopped up in like you would not be able to tell that it's from that song, but you 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 don't lose any of the emotion out of it at all and of course because it's you know because it's common you're also not going to lose any of the lyrical value either you know what i mean so it's like to me it's one of the yeah it's it's like that's going back to influencers that song has influenced me ever since it came out like i think that was like 2006 but when i heard that song i was like this is the standard for what hip-hop should be if you're gonna like if you're gonna sample this is the way to do it if you're gonna spit this is the way to do it this is hip-hop <laughs> Oh God, yeah. His, his, his choice on how he did that, you know, he took these obscure Fantastic Four clips and then mixed them with these other clips and then had his vocal style. He had a, like a guy like Earl Sweatshirt, he kind of does that, a, a mimic, that yeah. story, a, a new version of it um, with like some rap songs, he kind of totally translated into a brand new type of MF Doom. But yeah, yeah I've, I've always been very interested. Like, yeah, I said, I, I love bands like Sun Ra. I mean, Sun Ra was a classic bebop jazz band that kind of turned into a, a polymer funkadelic of jazz. Right. Space, space is the place. It's kind of like uh, where Miles was, you know, where we're like bitches brew. But they had right. started with like jazz and silhouette. And that's the classic bebop 55, 54, 56, around that time period. Totally different band, really tight bebop. But then they went into this thing that was like pre-Funkadelic. They looked like Funkadelic before Funkadelic. They dressed up like space aliens on stage. And I think George Perry <laughs> took that, took a little of that. But um, that's always been my inspiration is like that you can 
you can take all these various things and 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 it's the feeling really like if you listen to hendrix like i'm a keyboard player and i want to be a guitar player but i can't play guitar <laughs> I get my Moogs to do Hendrixian things um, because, because a Moog is closer to being able to do that than like a digital thing. Uh, and it, it's just a feeling. Like if I listen to a Hendrix, it's like, it's not that I'm trying to copy him. I'm trying to get that feel of, of where he, his head's at. And if you listen to like hundreds of Hendrix songs, and I'm a total Hendrix freak, you just, it kind of comes in to your, your consciousness. And whether or not you want it to, you will, you'll kind of, just start just like if you pull a Coltrane melody, suddenly you're playing something and the Coltrane melody pops out just when you're playing like jazz, the stuff pops out. You just start pulling something from Bach or pulling something from here or pulling something from there. You just that's just to me the cool thing of music and a lot of that seems to get lost with the sequencers and the DAWs and people don't wanna go that that way anymore as much, but you know, you, you, tools are cool, but I, I kind of like live performance. What do you guys feel about live performance? Well, we miss it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we miss it a lot, but I like it live more than online. Yeah, we haven't really done the online performing thing. Like, I, I, I have a lot of respect for people that are doing that. Um, and I think there's, I think it's, I think it's been really done well during the pandemic, especially like I'm seeing some setups that are just like super inspiring for when we do go back to doing live music. I think the thing we both agree on is there's a, um, there's a energy, you know, summer, I, I always give her credit for this because I think it's just maybe <laughs> also one of the things that's inspired me the most is a, she's a music therapist as well. And she's reminded me that, you know, at the foundation of music, before it was anything else, before it was this platform to be famous, before it was this, uh, you know, thing that we all uh, cling to as, you know, a status for how to be cool or this or that, you know, music was about community. And, she, she, you know, she goes into this much better than I do, but it, it's, it's such an inspiring thing because it, it, it reminds me constantly how... There's a community out there for every single musician. I'm saying like not just other musicians too. There's a community of people who like they will love what you do. You gotta you sometimes you gotta work hard, you gotta find them, but there's fans out there for everything. There really are. Yeah, and, and performing is amazing because it's kind of like that feeling of community again. And I think the more involved the audience is, the better. And we kind of if you can get rid of the whole like audience and performer stereotype and like we're all just in this music thing together right now and this energy and the cool thing about live is it's like you're never going to have the same show twice like you just can't recreate the experience and so you get bands like Coldplay they're like super interactive or even Ozo Motley going into the crowd and obviously hip-hop with the call and response in the back and forth all that's drawing from our roots you know when we would make music as a community is the only way to hear it was to create it together there was no recorded music at all so if you wanted it you had to do it yeah so there's a collaboration between musicians people who just you know or or non-musicians just anybody could collaborate and make music but part of that live performance energy is that that audience is giving you power that audience is giving you strength that audience is giving you courage and in return, you want to give them the best of yourself 
that synergy exists very exclusively, I think, kind of in person in that way. You yeah. know, it's hard, it's hard when you can't see your audience, you can't feel your audience. It's a really magical exchange. <laughs> well, I think a good example, I used to go see uh, the Allman Brothers and I would go see multiple shows just because they they fed off the audience. And I get it because I'm a keyboard player and like, if, I, if I play in a club and everybody's getting it, then I'm going to go off my Hammond B3 and my Moog and I'm going to do something based on what the crowd is giving me. And I right. feel like well, Dickie Betts and Greg Allman, like, they feed off the crowd. And if the crowd's really getting into it, then they kind of go in a different direction. And every night I would see them like two nights in a row and they was different. And it's kind of like Pearl Jam was different like that. Like you go see Eddie Vedder, you could go see a Pearl Jam show twice in, on the same weekend and he would change the lyrics of the song. Right. He saw Dylan he used to do that with his, some of his um, classic, like um, uh, uh, Blood on the Tracks albums, but he had multiple lyrics for different songs like Idiot Wind and Tangled Up in Blue. He had different versions of the songs. And some, you know, if you would see him on one night, he'd run a passage that was like on an outtake. He'd run that set of lyrics, and then the next day he'd run a different set of lyrics. He'd bounce them around just based on however he felt. And that's it was kind of cool. Like if you're a music fan, you, you know these little details. You're like, yeah. like you know, like that, we're always fans of other musicians. And, and, and that's why I do this podcast because we, we're our own community, you know, and that's what I've been doing with this is I talk to musicians all over the world to kind of keep that going, even though we can't physically be in a studio or something, but you can keep this kind of connection going. Yeah. And I've, I've uh, to that same thing, Prince Prince was like that. I, the, I, same, I just, the same thing. Yeah, we were lucky. Got to see Prince um, when he was doing the 21 shows at the Forum in L.A. And I got to go to like four of them. <laughs> um, it's because people weren't going. Like They were like, oh, well, he's there for 21 nights. Like, you know, I'll go catch him next week or whatever. I'm like, no, I want to go to every single one. I'm there. Like, however many tickets I can get, I'm going. And every show was different. Every single show was different. And depending on the energy, you know, he'd come out and do one encore. No, it's, I mean, one night he didn't do any encores because he was like, y'all aren't feeling this. You don't appreciate you know, the genius you don't appreciate, in you front of you. You don't appreciate what I'm doing? Seriously, I don't have to do 21 shows. He was doing it to save the forum, which he did. And then... Uh, yeah, but only was, friends can pull up 20 limits from the same. He's like, I'm gonna stay here back and play, and we're gonna raise enough money to keep the forum open and alive. And he did it, and you know the very, but the very first show I saw him do, he did like four encores. It was like, wow. and of course he can because he's got the catalog to do it, and he can play. He can literally play Purple Rain for like 25 minutes. No one's gonna say anything. <laughs> we're just gonna sit there and listen. It's Prince. <laughs> that's awesome i was in minneapolis and he used to do these like these low shows right and he had this power trio and yeah I totally and i have like every prince bootleg everywhere but i'm not supposed to have one <laughs> so i'm a total purple head and and so i would you get there at 11 o'clock you wouldn't get on stage until like two <laughs> but but you would hear all these outtakes like if you sat in the crowd you'd have like you know grape juice and like all this non-alcoholic stuff, you know, and snacks and cookies and whatever. You would sit around, but it wasn't like boring because he would start running all these outtakes or unreleased material. He would just run them on the speakers and you have a DJ running all this stuff that wasn't released. 
Right. You come on stage with his power trio with Sonny T and Michael B. And he starts doing all this like Undertaker, like Hendrixian power, like, you know, like, like it's, it's like a total different type of setup. That you, you did, you, once in a while in Europe, you could see him do that. But it was rare in the U.S. that you actually saw him do that. It, unless he went to his and you could see him do it. And right. it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like, That's crazy. Underrated. And, his, you know, he could do Clapton, Hendrixian, uh, you know, he could do uh, Santana-like stuff. And yeah. And when in that in that power trio, because he was limited, he didn't have the full band. He was going that way, and it was pretty cool to see him do that. Yeah, oh, that must have been amazing, especially Paisley Park. That must have been so cool. Oh yeah, he was at home and he was just like, "I'm gonna do what I want." Right. <laughs> so he, like, and I was like, "Oh, I'm cool with that." <laughs> you know, I want, that's what I wanted to see. I actually wanted to see him do the rare stuff. You know, just the stuff that that stuff he doesn't play every night you know but right uh, right i think that's what's cool um you know i think like one thing i, I read in this biography about the eagles and, and i think they kind of caused a, a lot of trouble for themselves because like during during um like the the hotel california tour i heard that they they, they kind of made the band they did like a james brown thing to the band they like find the band unless they played hotel california like exactly like the record like every night they were told they had to play it. Don Henley and uh, you know Glenn Fry was telling the whole band they had to play it straight. Don't change it. Wow. It's the same every night, and that's a good way to blow up the band. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, for sure. That takes the whole fun. I mean, that's like why? Why do you go see the Dead? Why do you go see Funkadelic? Why do you see the Almond? Yeah. Every night it was different. It's not because every night it's the same. Right. <laughs> You know, exactly. Don't burn the fun out of the band, you know. Right. <laughs> Might as well just listen to the record. Exactly. <laughs> just stay home, listen to the record. <laughs> so, so this whole project with the movie—that's that's really, you know, cool. It's a cool idea because I, like I said, I'm big into rock operas. A lot of stuff I do, I do a lot of visual stuff. I have been doing things online for many years. Why out of my home studio? I, I get up. You know, people know me. I, like I have a mask. I have LEDs. I have like this hoodie. I got this whole persona as the ghost. You know, that, that's you know, dope. Thing. But it's just the whole idea that like, to me, like David Bowie always, they asked him, like, why do you do Ziggy? Why do you do the Aladdin saying, why do you do that? I said, well, you know, I can just get up there with my blue jeans. And he did at David Jones. He never went anywhere. Uh, and then when he became David Bowie and Ziggy, he said, right. well, I'm going to bring theater because it's going to give people a show. And yeah. that's why Prince, you know, every had a persona, every album had a persona. You know, you had the kid in Purple Rain, then you had this other character with the cloud suit for, for around the world in a day, and then the police yep. kind of bikini look, and he just had different looks for every album, like 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 the way Bowie did. Yep. The way, the way that Freddie Mercury did. Uh, I, there's something about having that stagecraft and bringing a show with visuals or doing art, I think is important. Than to just come out. Now, I guess if you're a singer songwriter, you're playing acoustic guitar, then maybe you want to be more toned down. But yeah, I mean, we've we've done that too. You know, we've been we've been we we both come from that background of singer songwriter a little bit. You know what I mean? Like just a guitar, just a piano. She, she's a, down, yeah. she's gifted at, at both, but I, I don't really. I, I I try to play the keys. It's a very 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 uh, loose interpretation of playing the keys, but um, but. That being said, like, yeah, like, I would say that 
as far as like the movie and characters and, and that sort of thing, you, I think I've always respected artists who were who knew who they were in one capacity and knew who they were in another. So like you know, you know, Prince isn't Prince Rogers Nelson. You know what I mean? Like Prince is Prince. You know what I mean? Like that's who he is. At home, he might be different. We don't know that, and that's that's okay because we don't need to know that. You know, I'm saying like. Uh, but when you know your limitations on one front and then sometimes putting on that costume takes you out of those limitations, you know, um, or gives you a different headspace or gives you a different, you know, uh, frame of mind, you know, a viewpoint that's allows you to be more creative or more expressive. And I think with the movie, you know, we had, we're fortunately, we're very, very lucky. Our next door neighbor, our director, Sam Singer. Sam Singer is super creative and super um, inclusive and, and and very. What's the word I'm looking? He's for? open. Like he's willing and open to try anything. He's he's also he's, very yeah. Experimental. He's, he's experimental. He's creative. He's he's um, hardworking. Hardworking. He, he's kind of honestly yeah. Great <laughs> partnership. He's he, he's a kindred spirit to us. We both love that kind of um you know open to experimenting and seeing what can come about but um you know i think being a character is important sometimes like because it can it can take you out of your own fears or your own self-imposed limitations you yeah know? i think a big thing as musicians is like they've talked a lot about like when you think your identity is your music or you get so wrapped up into it that you feel really vulnerable and that the first like bad critique or criticism, you're like, I'm done, I give up or I want to hide. So there's something about having a character, a persona that gives you a little buffer. And it's like, this isn't me. This is just, you know, my costume. And it's been fun to make the movie because we've gotten to delve into acting a little bit. We both have a bit of an acting background, but we hadn't done it in years, so it's been really fun. And like you're saying, like there's different costumes, we're different characters, um, and it's it's been such a great learning experience. But first and foremost, it's just been a blast. So much fun, <laughs> and the, you know the other the other thing too. It is like you um, we've always kind of I think we've always wanted to to tell a story with the music. I'm sure you probably relate to this easily, you know, but I always see whenever I'm writing anything, you know, there's a visual in my head already. There's something that's going on in there. Sometimes it's, you know, a very, very detailed story. And I, I just see it. It could be a cartoon. It could be like us acting. It could be totally other people acting, or it could just be colors, but some way or another, there's always something I hear a beat, I see something, I hear keys, I see something. I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think she's the same way. And like this idea of like, we, there's something more, like the music gives you more and you want to share it through a visual medium. Yeah, I think I think it's the whole idea, like the, the, the different ways you can go at it. Like I come, sometimes I come at things like with a psychedelic kind of aspect where it's kind of like, it doesn't actually, go with the song like the visuals have like nothing to do with the song they're kind of just out there to kind of like take you into this other space mm -hmm. uh, but then there's songs where you actually you know I, my daughter's a cartoonist so we'll actually 
have a storyline run like a cartoon. Um, and, and, and run it like, like the gorillas or something. But um, but I think it's interesting, this whole idea of like the other me. I, I really gotten into because part of what I did with the ghost is like for many years, I, I was just playing myself and I didn't have stagecraft or anything. And then I never really sang. I was just a keyboardist, right? And I didn't feel comfortable singing. So then I, I got into vocoders and I created a female version of my voice through my voice. And as soon as I created this character called Josephine Electric, I said, well, I don't want to dress up like Bowie. I don't want to be <laughs> Camille. So I decided to be a phantom. So you couldn't tell who I was. So I have this idea of phantom. I wear like a, like a cape, this LED, and I've got a phantom mask. Wow. I can't tell who I am. But that's that's then what, what makes it work is I can have this female voice, but I don't have to dress in a dress. I have this kind of non-binary kind of thing where it's a ghost. And yeah, ghost gender neutral. Female, and then the female voice can come out or the deep male voice can come out, and it doesn't matter because I've got this stagecraft that, that has this this capability to do it. So I, I played in New York, and I was in this club, and I didn't know how people were going to react to this female voice coming out of a guy, you know, and it's coming out in real time, but I've got this kind of subterfuge as this other me as this phantom and the people couldn't really tell and it worked and it's been working ever since i, I actually have more fans now with my mask on than i did without <laughs> yeah there's definitely artists like, like sia is like you know she kind of hides a little bit the gorillas in a sense you know what i mean like before they were doing live shows yeah um uh um, there's a bunch of other acts that are like that. I like that. But even like going back to going back to Bowie, you know, the whole kind of like androgynous, like there, is, like there is no form. Like the form is whatever I want it to be. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I respect that a lot. The idea of like you know, I, I think especially this younger generation, you know, how they how they go into you know fluidity and you know the idea of just being is interesting and i think that you're hearing it in the music the way the music's reflected i i like i hear people talk about hip-hop now and they call it like mumble rap and I, I you don't have to like it but i think it's interesting how it's how it's approached i always think of it as like you know they're getting back to the roots of community in a sense because like when you feel out of touch with music like you know you you look at people as like uh, oh, only they can do that. I can't do that. But like the idea of mumble rap, it's just like it's just a flow. It's just like it's just like this is how I talk. This is what I do. This is who I am, and it's just put out there. I think it's like punk rock. If you think about it, like what yeah. punk rock was a rejection of how the progressive and the big rock bands had gotten like so out of touch. Yeah, they were like big three hundred thousand people in the crowd, and I can't get close to the band anymore. And it seemed like, well, they're so much more Jimmy Page. I could never be Jimmy Page. I could never be why well, I was playing. You know, nobody could ever be like that. But then you see Johnny Rodden. Well, I could be like him. Right, right, I, right. I joined the vision. I, well, I could do that. You know, I, I, I could do new war. I could do that. And so I, in the class, you know, like oh, I have to be the perfect singer. I just got to have heart and attitude. I think mumble rap is kind of like that. And then like it's kind of got this punk aesthetic where you can come in and say, hey, I can do it just like the class did it, just like Johnny Rotten did it, like Nirvana did it. And like how, that's why Kurt Cobain kind of brought back rock by bringing it back to bare bones and saying, 
I can just have a lot of heart and a lot of passion. I don't have to have the yeah. voice. Yeah. I think that punk aesthetic is always good. You know, I think it's always driven a, a really interesting dynamic. We I mean, even think about like REM. Early REM, you can't hear what Michael Stipe is saying <laughs> at all. But actually, I kind of liked the IRS and REM because there was a lot of mystery, kind of like a mumble rapper, in what Stipe was saying. You couldn't really tell, but you're listening to the reckoning and you're like, that's really cool, but I don't know what he's saying because they kind of give you this imagination to it. It's kind of like, it's like, like jazz in a way. I didn't have to know what he was saying. I just liked the hook. Right, right. You know, and, yeah. and, and it was cool. And I think that's where you get into like punk and, and kind of like, you know, the, the cyberpunk and other types of traps that get really deep, deep beats and stuff that you don't recognize maybe the lyrics as much. But I think it's just anything that can kind of get people into music. Uh, and be expressive and try try to get something new. Yeah. People who break the rules create something that you want to listen to. <laughs> yeah, and it's always people who the people who are the most frustrated by that are the ones who aren't doing it. They're just like, you know, I don't get why these kids like this music. It's like because they made it. That's why. You know, it doesn't matter if you get it or not. They like it and they're doing it. The best thing you could do is is respect it and you know probably learn something from it right like the the next generation is always steps ahead whether you think they are or not they're always steps ahead they're, they're approaching things from a place that's literally built on the past i think the you know I, I i i've been lucky enough to teach music a little bit and i always go back to you know i teach the foundations of music i teach like the history of, of music um I, I try and touch on as many things as I think are important. And then one of the big things I do is I open up the discussion to what is important about music to you or what is important music, you know? Um, and I'm always really excited when I do it because I'm, I'm constantly hearing music. I would never go out and listen to, like I wouldn't even know it existed. Some of it. the like, kids now listen to more. I think they listen to more underground music than they ever have before. Big inspiration to me because you know I'm, I'm coming from this whole jazz thing and you know progressive rock but she's showing me all these underground bands that she's really into a lot of underground music a lot of female centered music uh, a lot of international world music that I might not have picked up on yeah. because I'm in my podcasting I'm always looking for different things so I kind of go that way anyway but but it's it's cool to have a 20 year old it's my daughter you know she's out there and she's really pushing me to like, wow, I should get out of my comfort zone. I shouldn't just listen to Emerson, Lake and Palmer or- <laughs> As much as you want to, right? listen to something I didn't, you know, this guy's a DJ, but he's doing something cool. Can I have right. that kind of thing at a keyboard? It's, oh, well, you know, he's on a CDJ or whatever. But if you think about it, one thing I was, I was looking at, you know, the, uh, Amy Winehouse had a producer that had been a DJ and the one thing he, I saw this documentary, the one thing he brought to the table was he knew how to get a, a hook. He knew how to hear a groove. And so if you think about when you look at Amy Winehouse's uh, Back to Black album, a lot of that album is so tight because it's like the guy would groove focus. Yeah. And he was like real musician, but he had this ear from listening to all these records. Right. And knowing how to DJ to know what the crowd would like. So he took that capability and then it's like, then I got more respect for, for that kind of thinking. And that like, you don't necessarily have to be 
a musician, but if you're a music curator, you're a music historian, you know the grooves, you know what songs, you're like Dr. Dre, you know, you, you, you get guys that can like, wow, they know so many albums, so many rare songs, and they know what works together, maybe in a way that you didn't know. Uh, and that's kind of cool. It, you know, a traditional musician sometimes, oh, well, you, you can't play this, and you don't know how to do a major seventh, this, whatever, you know. Hey, it, music is music, and, and some producers are just as creative as anybody that can play a riot, you know, Stradivarius or something. Definitely. So, so I guess when we talk, I, I kind of deviate from the question a little bit, but I always talk about <laughs> That's music, all good. music production and the digital audio workstation and your like preferred method. Do you like to record in your home DAW or do you go to a studio and do have like a demo or is it a little bit of both? Do you do a, like a merger of all different types of things? Well, since COVID, we've been recording at home in our home studio. It's fun to get out of the home studio sometimes we'll go to like Joshua Tree or like nearby places just to change the scenery and just rent like an Airbnb for a weekend or a week and, and write. That's always really nice. And obviously the songs reflect the the space. But mostly we've been working home, you know, and trying to work around the construction and <laughs> the loudness of LA. But you know, that's how we did higher love and you, we mainly use Ableton, Logic, and it's where we're sitting right now. So this is where we are most of the time. You try and bring, you try and bring like the studio vibes, you know, wherever we go. So you know, she mentioned that like a, a while ago, before before all this happened, we were renting spots in like Joshua Tree and different locations, and just like getting Airbnb for a couple of nights and bring our gear there and just write from that perspective, and. Um, that was a lot of fun. That that it's it's still the same program. Nothing's changed about the program, or nothing's changed about the instruments. Yeah. Yeah. But you, but you, you, your headspace has changed. Your environment's changed, and it's interesting the music that came out of out of that. You know, we've only we've only put out blocks. We put out another single called Like Fire. We got like tons of tracks. We have so much music. It's the 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 thing is. Oh, go ahead. No, it wasn't talking. I thought you were gonna say. I was giggling. Uh, <laughs> we've got so much music, but it's like we're, we're we're it's not like we're not gonna release some stuff. We might not release. We might release all of it, but it's like right now what we're focused on is you know this this project and curating it the way we want it to be um, heard, and then eventually you know we we may release you know a lot more of what we we did. I, there's um we just heard this interview with um, Flying Lotus. And he was talking about how this this single he did with I think it was um, I think it was him and Anderson Pack, and that he he record wrote and recorded the song five years ago, but just never thought it was good enough, and then finally put it out. But that's like just sometimes what it takes, you know. We've got um, we've got a couple of songs like we got one song in particular that we wrote at the way beginning, <laughs> like a couple of years back. That is just coming out on this new EP that we're going to release. So, you know, it just, it just, we weren't sure. We loved the song, but it didn't have a home until now. We didn't know its birthday yet. Yeah. Well, I was watching this documentary on Frank Zappa, and Zappa used to keep all these tapes of his live performances, and then he would have all these reels, and then he would, his wife said he would just go through them and, and take one something from like 
two years ago or six months ago or whatever, some live, like he finds something, oh yeah, there, here's the hook off of this live show. I'm right. going to take that and I'm going to mix it with something I did last week or something I did two months ago. And I find that I, I, I started like really taking that kind of philosophy. Like I keep a big archive of all my stuff. And then I like to go back, you know, a couple years to something I think didn't work. And then take, you know, because you're coming back at it fresh. And you're like, wow, I actually had something here and then work on it. Or I'll go and take something to like some of my other friends who play bass or guitar and use that to, um, you know, drive like a new development. You know, to have somebody else's input take, take a fresh look at it or, or, re, or sample it and then change it up. And like I do a lot of samples of old stuff I did. And I find that like if you take, you take that kind of approach to like you sample your own work and then you chop it up and then you rejigger it around. It can kind of, if you weren't getting inspired to suddenly like, oh, there's all this new inspiration. <laughs> exactly. But what, what do you feel about, have you, do you use samplers a lot? Like today, a lot of people are into like sampled uh, clips and clip based, um, you know, launching of how they record songs. I mean, a lot of structure in some of the modern recording systems are based on you kind of doing samples of your own thing, sampling a drum, sampling this, and then and moving it around and, 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 and resampling a sound to revoice it in a modern sense. Do you guys do a lot of that or do you kind of just deal with, stick with the regular instrument basis? It's a, it's a combination of both. I mean, we sample drums. Um, uh, sometimes we record live drums, sometimes we sample them, and, you know, but um, that's, that's I, I would say we, <laughs> We, in the very beginning, especially when we were first writing and experimenting, like we sampled, we, we would try and use like heavy samples from songs, like stuff that we liked that we wanted to just flip. And then unfortunately you run into the wall of clearing. <laughs> you know, if you, want to, if you want to put your song out there, you got to clear it. So, you know, you know down you. right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't clear that. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to, you could just put it out there, but that's like a, that's a whole other headache that, you know, in terms of us just wanting to get the music out there, we were like, you know, maybe, maybe we'll come back to that idea. We still love that. But drums, um, I just like, you know, I'm old school with like, you know, Dilla type beats and stuff like that. I, I love stuff like that. So I love the idea of like, you know, just sampling all sorts of drums and rearranging them in interesting ways. Um, and not even like full drum cuts, just like a kick, a, like a individual kick, snare, hats, percussive instruments and build them the way that we want to. And I like to, I'm not a drummer. Um, but I, I like, I'm not a drummer yet. I'm, I'm working on it. But uh, <laughs> I like to think like a drummer. I like to think about what would a drummer do? What, how, how would they, you know, I think about, you know, the Carter Bofords and the Abe Cunninghams and the, you know, um, Sheila E. <laughs> but, but for real, like, you got to think about all sorts of different types of drummers and percussionists, you know, and, and what would that feel like? And then on top of that, we trust our own creativity in terms of, you know, our own songwriting ability and our own ears. And, um, you know, one of the things for me, one of the most fun parts is, you know, summer gets, summer is so creative in a way that I'm not capable of. She has like a, um, 
just like this freedom that is not like not it's just not built around like what is like you know I don't want to say typical, but I mean, like, yeah, it's not conventional. She doesn't just write a song. She doesn't write from a perspective of, I need people to like this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do sometimes. I have that hang up where I'm like, well, what sounds cool? You know what I mean? Like, I have to take my head out of that sometimes in order to be free. And she's just free. He'll just write something and it's like the jazziest, like, but then it'll get like dirty, but then it'll come to like this really pretty place. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like, how did you do that? I have no idea. And then she's just tweaking knobs and doing stuff. And she just does it. It's not like, you know, um, again, it's not from a place of like, it has to sound good or it has to sound pretty. She's just going off of an emotion and letting the music come out of her. And it's, for me, that's actually the most inspiring part of, of writing together is um, she puts me in a place of like, all you know and then i get to i get to just add to that so summer do you get like in this kind of headspace where you like you let music kind of just take you i mean I, i've heard like i feel like i pull from like this this muse like there's this thing i feel like there's a muse right i started as a poet and so everything i do is kind of through my consciousness based on stacks of poetry i wrote and then i would like i'll look at something i wrote but i won't really focus on it when i go into a recording i do total through my consciousness for most of my lyrics I'll, I'll look at something and then i'll let the music take me wherever it's going to go and then i'll kind of just let it go through my consciousness kind of let it just feel like it's kind of coming to me i didn't i don't try to think about it too much i try to like let it come is that kind of how what you do is let it kind of come to you that's my very favorite way to play music is like I, I read this book, Effortless Mastery, and it helped me kind of reconnect with how I used to, you know, my relationship with music as a child, which was really free. And like my main goal was to feel free when I'm playing. And I totally agree that I feel like we all have those muses, the muses come. And that's why so many people write similar music at the same time. I feel like it's like, well, here you go. This, this idea needs to be heard. This idea needs to come to form. Um, so I'm like really free and all over the place and creative and it's more just the process. Like I love the process. And what John is really great at is he extracts like, he'll be like that, you got a gun. You know, like I, I probably never recorded and I would just play for an hour to be like <laughs> this total like free chat situation. And he can ground me and make a song from that. And you, you're really good at mining the gold. Like he really has ears for it and then we can build more of a pop tune around that. And that kind of goes back to the what you were, you were talking about before, the sampling sense. He's sampling it. me. I'm sampling her. <laughs> you know, like the DJ kind of technique I talked about with like Amy Winehouse, like you can find a hook. Right. Like a lot of times, like I, when I was with bands, we like in the 70s, when I was with my punk bands, like we'd be in a basement for like two hours on a real reel. We just put it down and just go for two hours. And then I go back, do the thing, and I say, here's the hook. Here's right. The hook. Here's the here's the lyric, and then I go and I come back to the band and say, "Hey, this, this is the stuff we should work on," because I could kind of hear it. And um, it seems like that's what you like producers and stuff, and that's the kind of nature. And even like drummers, like drummers are very into like I'm gonna drummers are like the core of yeah. like rhythm of any song. And so I've heard a lot of bands I've talked to will spend tons of time 
trying to get the, the rhythm section of a, of a song down. And it's kind of like, it's, it's a lot of work if it doesn't come easy. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, it looks effortless, but a lot of times a lot of work goes into it. And, and like the lyrics and, and other things can come in different ways. Um, but like the, the drums is something that's a kind of like, you have to kind of find that hook. But other parts of the song, they kind of let it happen in other ways. But Right. And sometimes what happens is like, because of her, because of her approach to writing, um, that that helps me to be really like wild with the drums. We have this song called My Stop, and it started the beginning of the you know it's, the song actually happens almost in three sections, you know, and uh, the beginning sounds very like you know boom bap hip hop jazz kind of you know stuff, and that came from she was just playing these this beautiful piano part it sounded so dope and i was like well that's that's easy that's a slam dunk right there i can just like you know just put you know real nice like you know quest style just behind the beat kind of feel right and um then you know we're listening to it and we're like yeah but you know what it's got to go somewhere so then you know she kind of took the chords and played them you know on we, we've got behind us right there i don't know if you can see it but that's a that's a 73 roads right back there. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Summer gets on that and she starts playing and it just feels good, you know? So, but the but it's different than the piano, right? The sound is different. And the way she's approaching it, she's playing it with a different style now. It's got a, a different, um, like, um, yeah. So like now I'm like, all right, I want to change the drums up. So now I'm bringing in more of like that kind of a little bit more of a breakbeat kind of feel behind it, where it's just like, you know, instead of being like, like, a, instead of like that, now it's coming more at like, a, you know, and it's changing up. Right, exactly. It's still got that behind the beat feel, but now we're introducing some more electronic kind of vibes to it. We get to this third section and we're both just stumped. We're like, all right, we know he's got to go somewhere. But then, you know, she's like, you know, what if, what if we just go, what if we just go wild? You know, so then it's just like that freedom of just like, we can take it somewhere else entirely is like, okay, cool. So then she starts reharming the chords and I'm like, this is cool. Like it took a little bit of time, but then I knew like drum wise, I can go completely like electronic, like, yeah. you know, like, um, trying to think of like, like progressive music, it kind of, you can change like your rhythm, you can do polyrhythms, you can change a rhythm, you can change the timing, you can change yep. the key. That's what I like about like yes and yes, is you get these songs and they're like, they're like little sweeps, you know, you go into this one section, yes. and, you know, this speed and it changes to a different key and it changes to a different emphasis. I, I like to use a lot of progressive rock techniques from bands like Yes and Genesis and, you know, like uh, even like bands say like Mogwai, um, but they do a lot of interesting things where they kind of go off and come back and go off. It's very classical type stuff or even jazz fusion type orientation that you can come, go and kind of break it out, go crazy, come back, go out, come back, you know, change the rhythm, do this. I, I, what I find, I've been doing a lot lately is I'm using analog drum machines. 
Mm. I used Moog and I used a lot of Eurorack drum machines. Yeah. To create these really kind of not sampled. I don't want to sound like a real drum. I actually want to sound like something that's kind of like a drum, but something you never heard from a drum. And that, that gives you kind of like the Alexander Cortini or like a Nine Inch Trent Reznor type of ideas. Sure. You take a lot of noise concepts, a lot of uh, ideas of like uh, Buchla or additive synthesis concepts where you take interesting noise to create percussive capabilities and you do that a little off the time and different things like that. Where you don't want to be like an 808 or 99 perfect. Right. I'm actually going for like, like a tonight's the night kind of Keith Richards off the beat. Glitch, mm -hmm. Glitchiness is kind of where my head's at lately. Yeah. yeah. Like take LFOs to trigger things to be glitchy on purpose, to be a little off time on purpose. Because I kind of want that kind of brokenness that you get from like either Velvets or like Alex Chilton's Big Star. You know, you, you get the sound sometimes where that gives you a lot of personal vulnerability. If you're not, you're kind of in that space where, where you don't have to be like trying to get the hit, but you're trying to do something else. You're trying to be more like a field machine, what you're doing behind you. You see, like the you know, Whirlister or Hammond B3 or Moog, Mini Moog, they're like field machines. You know, they, they, they're, 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 they give you that ability to express yourself in a very natural way as a musician compared to some of the electronic stuff today. Yeah. Not that it's not cool, but, but like have taken a classic instrument like that or even like a Yamaha piano or like in, any kind of acoustic instrument or, you know, organic sounding instruments are, are what, what my feel is lately. But Definitely. In a soft sense world that everybody can get anything they want, but it's somehow the, the surface controls on these analog sense or the feel of like a real electric piano or something that is something that they, they give you the song an edge that I feel is cool. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. There's a, it's the tactile part, you know, it's like, it's like kind of like, you know, the difference between creating in, you know, uh, logic or pro tools or something like that. And then going and working on a board, like, you know, when you're touching, when you're touching the board, you're like, it, it feels more, there's something that feels more real, more tactile. So you're just like, all right, you know, you're, you're, yeah, it's another, yeah, it's an extension of what you're trying to do. Master your Ableton like a, like to use an old Neve board, you know you're kind of missing out. Like what Pink Floyd, I saw an interview they were talking about Dark Side of Moon and talking Wish You Were Here, and they said they were they were all in the board doing all the overdubs all together as a band, and they felt like that was part of the recording session as the band. It wasn't the engineering session; it was actually how they constructed those songs. When right. They those boards they were using them to actually map out. Sound. Interesting. And yeah, each one of those. Yeah. <laughs> every time you turn that knob, you're making a choice. You know that is an instrument. It's the same thing. Like it, you know, all of it comes down to the same exact thing, which is just you know, we're doing our best impression of, you know, vocalizing our our feeling, right? And that that can be you know through the guitar, the piano, or any instrument, whatever saxophone. It doesn't matter. The triangle, you, you know, you you know, you, you play it soft, you play it loud, you play it quick, you play it slow. But every single one of these things, including working at the board, including you know how you're EQing that sound, how you're shaping it, you know, uh, 
you know, are you compressing it? Are you, are, you know, are you, are you adding effects? You know, every one of those things is a choice that is another tool of expression. I always like try and tell people when, you know, people tell me something sounds auto-tuned or this or that. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Like, if you're telling me that you don't, you're not feeling what the artist is doing because it sounds too perfect to you and like you like the imperfections, I get that. Uh, you know, maybe you're just not connecting to it in that way. But what I, I don't get or what I don't necessarily agree with is when people are like, you know, these rappers use auto-tune or these singers use auto-tune. I'm like, but a lot of them are using it on purpose, just like a guitarist would use an effects chain, you know what I mean? Like, they're using it. Yeah, it's a tool. You know, you're using like a spring reverb because that's what you want, you know? Yeah. That's the sound you're going for. That's what you're trying to get. And, it, you know, the, I think that that's the thing. Again, that's the thing. You know, you, you see these you see these techniques that, like, are not heralded as, like, you know, you know, the way to do music, except it works and it makes something. So, like, you know, everything's an extension. I think you just have to kind of, like, you know, be like her and be free. <laughs> you, know? you get at it, you get, like, Jack White in the $100 Sears and Roebuck guitar. Exactly. Like, the black keys. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's like, it's like, you know, a lot of times if I'll use a Casio, if I want to use it, right, I'll, I'll go get, you know, I'll go hit a, like a trash can and tape it onto my sampler or like break some glass and grab it or, you know, uh, lately I've been using this, uh, like this Swedish synthesizer from Teenage Engineering and OPZ. And yeah. It's, it's a little tiny little thing. It looks like a remote. And you can build really interesting drum beats on it because it has this ability to do what are called like subcomponents, and maybe that's too complicated. But on every 16 steps of the sequencer, you can put 16 different subcomponents of modulations on every step. Wow. That's on the OP you're talking about? Yeah, it's like an OPZ. It, it, it's yeah. Like, the OP1 was the first one they did, but the OPZ yeah. is a sequence focused teenage engineering thing, and it has this idea. Oh, nice. I don't even know about that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and what I like to do is I actually like to record it into like a zoom and 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 actually recording in real time changing those subcomponents in real time then you get something that you can never get from like normal programming because it's kind of like yeah. it feels more organic because you're kind of doing it in real time and it's kind of like the way i use my moog like i will put down my moog and i'll do all the control services and record it in real time so if you do the real time you're playing with the string reverb you're playing with the ladder filter you're changing the modulation if you're doing all that as part of the playing of the instrument, it creates like very unique sounds that you can't really replicate every time. So it gives you like point in time sounds that you put down on like tape. It becomes solid there, but that's kind of like what that's what it is. And then you kind of live with it and then you work around that. So the limitation of recording, so you put some limits on what you can do. So you're not living like the grid life. But you're kind of living with the capabilities of your machines and making like very unique, kind of like a painter. Like, okay, I'm gonna do that brushstroke, and that's what it is. And that might layer on top of it, but that's what it is. And right. that's, that's my approach to the way I do it. But it's kind of old school. But I use new techniques, like an OPZ, that's a new machine. But I, right. I used it without running the MIDI on it. I just did it the way I wanted to. So it's like you can take something new and then run it a different way. Right, for sure. And all, uh, like every instrument, you know, it doesn't matter. It's all still valid. It doesn't matter when it's from or what it does. It still works. It's just how you use it. 
you know, somebody wants to use a voice order with auto tune, but their voice is unique, right? You know, I use yeah. voice order to create jo Josephine, but how yeah. I use my voice order, I use it to create a character. I actually change with my voice or a soprano and then throw all these effects on it to get it to sound like a female version of myself. Yeah. Right. So that is a very unique thing that you're like, yeah, I'm using a bunch of technology to do that. It's not my straight voice. Right. It's like just like any like a hip hop guy is using a voice order, but that's his voice. Or that's her voice. And so when it goes through, it's gonna be unique to that artist. And so that's that's we you know you, you can't you know, that's what, what they choose to use the tools. It's like whether you use the plastic guitar or whether you use a five thousand dollar guitar. You know, that, what does it matter? But if you get the result and the fans like it and the people, you know, are listening to it, then then you got it. Right. <laughs> fans everywhere. You know, they, you'll find an audience anywhere for the type of music you're into if you you believe in yourself. I think every musician that, that doesn't give it up realizes that like they they're passionate about what they want to do, and then the audience finds that passion and is attracted to it. Yeah. So I, I think that's what's cool about talking to people in the indie world is um, you know, I grew up with a lot of guys that gave up. You know, back you know I'm in my 50s and the guys when I was 18, 21. They gave up and they don't play anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, ne I never stopped. And so it's like, I, I, you get where you're going to go because of the belief in what you think you can do, whether or not the world, you know, believed it. You know, the Velvet Underground weren't big at their, in their time, but everybody knows they're one of the greatest bands ever existed. Right. Alex Choton's Big Star wasn't that big, but, you know, all these alternative bands in the 90s name checked Big Star you know as, as an influence so a lot of times you know like you think about william blake he wasn't well known in his time you know but he's like one of the classic poets so you, you should not do your art just because you're not in the top 10. you know you for do sure your art because you you love what you're doing yeah that's the most important part so when, when is um the target for chapter two of um of, of, of blocks and the movie do you have a target date? So we're getting ready to release the second single, and we're actually going to be releasing a music video to go with Higher Love. So that'll be kind of the teaser of the movie, which is, that's like the climactic part of the movie. And then we're going to release a second single called Skyride that he was talking about that we actually wrote a long time ago, but I'm glad we waited because it's a perfect piece to the story we're telling. Um, and then the EP is going to come out before the movie. So the EP will probably release this summer. And then we might release the film then, but we're also looking to get into some film festivals. And a lot of the film festivals want to premiere it. So it really just depends um, on where that goes. But if that's the case, we're going to hold out until we can really launch it correctly. <laughs> it's like a play. You can't publish a play if you want to put it on. You yeah. Have to, you have yeah. To keep it on Polish or nobody wants to do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, people want to premiere it and that sort of thing. So it's just cool. Like, it might take a little bit of time, but you know, one of the things that we've been kind of learning through all this is like, you know, that's just kind of how it it, it works sometimes. It doesn't stop us from writing still or, or creating. It's just kind of like it's all happening happening simultaneously. What what usually will end up happening is just that we'll we'll have like years of music to release as soon as we release this thing so it's, it's fine it'll come out but the the tar like the target is hopefully the music video within the next couple of months and we'll, we'll once we once we have it locked down and everything we'll 
do release information and we'll, we'll let you know for sure. And um, uh, yeah, same thing with the next single and that sort of thing. Well, we'd like to, over the two years I've been doing the show, I bring back um, artists all the time when they have a project to, to talk about. So I've had many guests uh, over the years that we do like release episodes like um, on the cusp of some you know project coming out. So if you're awesome. interested in doing that, we could do that. Yeah. That sounds really cool because definitely. So is phase one and phase two of blocks in the film? Just two. Just two. And then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes from there. Um, you know, the, the film especially has been, it's, it's a real experiment with, you know, a lot of ideas that we wanted to do. So we'll see how people kind of respond to those ideas and um, we'll see how how much it takes and what it takes and everything like that. It's been a really incredible process. Like it's been a lot of fun, it's been challenging, it's expensive, <laughs> but- uh, I think it's a cool thing because you think about it today, people are so visual and as musicians, we're always trying to find that, that, that niche and really visual, I mean, that's why I've been doing audio podcasts since 2018, and now I'm doing a video one, but there's a reason. Yeah. The, the video podcast is actually the new thing. And so yeah. Podcasters, we're all kind of converting to video, and we have our little bugs in, you know, here and there. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 it's people, I think the idea of doing a film is really cool. I think it's a good uh, way to integrate with fans that are so into the two minute, you know, thing, if you can get fans to get into a longer form exposure of your art, it's always a good thing. I think so, you know, doing live performance, doing film, working with other artists to get into visual areas, you know, you know working into video games and films and stuff is something I've been working on real heavy as well. So Very cool. it's really cool that you're, I think you're going the right, right direction for the kind of thing, <laughs> even though it's a lot of money, but. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm glad to have you guys, Power Couple, on on the show. This, this has been streaming on my Facebook. It will be saved um, on that channel and, and be there permanently. It will also be pushed up to a YouTube later. And we always convert all these video podcasts to our traditional Anchor FM, which is all audio. And there, it will go to Spotify and Apple and nine other podcast platforms that we've been on for a couple of years. And so that's kind of where we, what we were known for, but it will still go out there and we'll push those, those versions on our Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> and, and click and actually, you know, uh, put you as a referral, you know, link you. So once we say your name of your band on our Instagram, you'll see it in our story. You'll see that we talked about you. So that, that Great. Be we can share it with our fans. Very cool. So we're, we're well, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, eventually see all the bands I talked to live one day. Um, <laughs> or, or one thing we wanted to do a couple of years ago, we were talking about like taking all the guests that we have and doing like a festival. Oh, that'd be awesome. Of all, of all the bands that we ever talked to, and we've talked to like almost 40 bands now. Um, and so we think that would be a cool thing to kind of create a festival based on the bands that we talked to. And so if you're into that, we, we, we'll be looking to figure out how to do that once things get cool again. But um, yeah, definitely. I, I really miss festivals. Yeah. <laughs> and now we'll wait to get back out there. Yeah, we're doing collectives that, you know, it's like you create a collective, like, okay, well, this is a podcast collective based on 
viewer and guest on the show, and then everybody's a guest on the show is part of this collective, and then we create a whole new thing, and that, that's you know what you do to, to get a scene going. Uh, but uh, thank you for being on the show. I, I appreciate it. it. It's really cool to hear about all your ideas and your projects. You guys seem to really be synced, you know, in what you're doing. It's it's cool to see a duo. You know, cause a lot of times I, I do bands, uh, but duos. I've done maybe three uh, interviews with duos, and they're always very interesting because it's <laughs> a tighter connection. Do you able to? You know, four people hard to hard to handle. Five people. To handle. <laughs> it's it's true. When you're trying to create something, it gets a little, a little confusing. A lot of cooks. A lot of many cooks, or there's one cook that's more than another cook, or whatever, and there's all these dynamics. But it's interesting to see the kind of, you know, the, 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 the dynamic that you guys have. It's cool. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. We really appreciate you having us. It was wonderful to get to talk to you. Thank you, and we'll be pushing this out. It is on our Facebook. You'll be able to see it there as soon as they end it. It'll be there. I think you, you see it on the, on the page. You'll see that there on screen below. But um, thank you very much for being on the program. Everybody, go check out Power Couple. We're going to put their link. Yeah, their link tree is running on the bottom, so you can always grab that. You can't click on it. We've been asking. Excuse me, already. Like, can you make that clickable? Well, it's not. Um, <laughs> th thank you very much for being on the program. We'll talk to you again. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good night. <laughs>